Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. And today we're going to dig a bit more deeply into the topic of baptism. Last time, we covered a lot of ground on the topic of baptism, what it is, what it does, who it's for. Remember what God promises in baptism. Remember, God promised basically three general things. Forgiveness for every sin. Uh, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, be baptized and wash your sins away. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, secondly, in baptism, God promises that you get a new way to look at your life. You have been born again. That's how Jesus describes spiritual birth to Nicodemus. And thirdly, he promises salvation. He promises salvation. Those who are baptized are saved. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. And we're going to take a look at that second one, really the, the new life and what it means to live with baptism. And to do that, I'm going to ask you a very important question. How do you look at your life right now? You look at your life and how do you evaluate it? Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were, the Apostle Paul wrote. And so Paul is reminding them of a time that they were outside the kingdom of God. At one point in their lives, that's how they were supposed to look at themselves. Why? Because they were sexually immoral, worshiping false gods, committing adultery and other sexual sins, stealing, greedy, getting drunk, cheating, talking down to others, all things that God condemns. That's what they were. And that word is really important. Because even though that's how they were supposed to look at themselves at one point in their lives in the past, that's not how the Apostle Paul saw them in the present. He went on to finish that thought after he said, that's what some of you were. He went on to say, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, something happened to them. They were washed, as the Bible says we are in baptism. They were sanctified, which means to be made holy, which is something also that happens in baptism. Baptism forgives you, washes away your sins. And they were justified, just as you know, justified means to declare someone not guilty. And if all of your sins have been washed away, then, then you are not guilty of anything in God's eyes. Without using the word baptism, Paul was talking to them in the same way the Bible allows us to talk about anybody who had been baptized. Washed, sanctified, justified. That those are definitive things that take place when a person is baptized. And if they were, then that's what they were. Washed, sanctified, justified. Does that mean that they never were tempted by those same sins again? No. Does it mean that they never committed those sins ever again? No. But Paul speaks very definitively here. He didn't want them to define themselves by their past mistakes or even by their present struggles with temptation. He wanted them to define themselves entirely by the work of Jesus on their behalf, the work of Jesus, which baptism connects a person with. And just think of what that allows you to say if that's true. And the Bible assures you that it is, that baptism connects you with the work of Jesus, that the act of baptism, therefore, washes and sanctifies and justifies you. 
it allows you to respond to a lot of different thoughts that may pop into your head. Like thoughts like, it's like, oh, you can't do anything right. You're kind of worthless. But if you've been baptized, you say, no, that's, that's not true. You're in the family of God. As someone who is washed and justified and sanctified, as someone who's forgiven, you belong in the family of God now. You're covered with Jesus' own perfection. For the times when the voice in your head pops in that says, oh, you don't do the types of things that Christians should. You fail too regularly. Remembering your baptism and what God promises you in your baptism allows you to define yourself not by your failures, but by what Jesus did on your behalf. You were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. And you get to live like you are. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted Christians to do on such a regular basis. You know, in, in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking with people who thought that, you know what, if we're forgiven, then maybe it doesn't matter how I live. You know, they were using the forgiveness as a kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, I can, I can go and do whatever I want, and then I can just ask for forgiveness, and God will give it to me. And, and, and the Apostle Paul said, no, you, you can't do that. I mean, it's like, what, what, should, what should we say about this? Should we go on sinning so that we should get more grace? He said, no. A couple of key phrases. We are those who have died to sin, he said. How could we live it in any longer? He said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, the fact that you are baptized and the fact that God gives you so many wonderful gifts in baptism, that ought to change your life. We may live a new life. In that same chapter, he says, he says, count yourselves then dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. If our sins were buried with Christ through our baptism, then they don't touch us again. We can leave them there in the grave, and God will never condemn us for them. But as we live out our daily lives, we ought to leave them there. And that's easier said than done, I know. I'm going to share with you three things that we need to remember as we look to apply the truths of our baptism, live with the reality of it, live like it means something to us. Three things we need to remember, then three things that we need to do as Christians. The first thing we need to remember is that every day is a spiritual battle, and every day will be, and you should expect that. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Every day is a spiritual battle. That's what that passage is saying. There are two different significant parts of your existence. There is the old self and there is the new self. And they both exist in the Christian. In fact, we're going to use these as some of our Bible buzzwords. We're going to define old self and new self. So the, the old self is the sinful identity and desires passed on to us from conception. It always hates God and everything he commands. That's the old self. The new self is the godly identity and desires created in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It always wants to do what God wants out of love for Jesus. And you have those two things, the Apostle Paul is telling us, at work in you all the time after you come to faith. The old self that always hates God and everything he commands, it finds it easy to do the wrong things, but then the new self, the new life that the Holy Spirit plants inside of you. But first thing we need to remember that each day is a spiritual battle. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Each day will be a struggle, and that doesn't make you different than anyone else. It makes you a Christian. Second thing to remember is that 
sin is not your master. Remember in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul said this, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You don't belong to sin anymore. You've been set free from it. And so live as the free Christian that you are. If you go and you start indulging in your sins again, what does that mean about you? It means that you are making yourself a slave to your sin. It means that your sin owns you. And Jesus spilled a lot of blood to make sure that wasn't the case. Your sin doesn't own you. You've been set free from it. Sin is not your master. The third thing to remember is to look at yourself the way your heavenly father does. Also in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says very simply, you are not under the law. You are under grace. Because of what Jesus did, because of your faith connection with Jesus, God is not evaluating you every day to see if you match up to his law. See, if you're doing all the right things, and if you do, then he'll love you. It's not the way he works. You are under grace. God's undeserved love for you is your reality all the time. Those are three things to remember, three very important things to remember, and three things that we need to do to live with our baptisms. Number one, we need to express sorrow for our sins. It's a healthy thing to do. We don't like to admit our sinfulness, but it's a healthy thing to do. King David did this. He said, he said, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he said, he said, my sacrifice that I make to you, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. When we express our sins to God, it's not, we're not giving God more reasons to be mad at us. We're expressing what we already know is true about us. That's contrition. The second thing we need to do is, well, we need to trust that Jesus forgives all of our sins. And this is repentance. In Psalm 32, King David wrote, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He felt badly for what he did. And there was a second part to it, and a very important second part. He reminded himself that God forgave him. He believed it. This, in a sense, is the important difference between Judas and Peter, two disciples of Jesus, both of whom on the same day felt really, really badly about how they treated Jesus. You might remember that on the day that Jesus was betrayed, Judas was the one who kind of led the charge in, in betraying him into the authorities that would, eventually, that would eventually kill him. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And when Judas realized what he had done, when he saw Jesus being led away and saw that this was going to end very badly for Jesus. He felt so badly. He felt remorse. He felt contrition. He felt very badly, just like Peter did. The Apostle Peter also felt contrition for what he did. On that same night, when given an opportunity to express his love for Jesus, he didn't. Not once, but three times. Somebody asked him, do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Aren't you with Jesus? Nope, nope, nope. Jesus had promised him just a few hours prior to that, that that's what he would do. And Peter said, there's no way I would ever do that. I will die for you, Jesus, if I'm given the opportunity. But he didn't even confess that he believed in him. And when he realized what he had done, the Bible tells us he went out and wept bitterly. So Judas and Peter were the same. They both felt contrition. They both felt sorrow over what they did in relation to their Savior. But then there is a difference and an important one. Judas didn't 
well. He didn't believe that the forgiveness that Jesus was there to win was really for him. We're not given a lot of details on what was going through his mind, but, but he decided to end his life because apparently he believed there was no hope for someone like him. And so he didn't hold on to those promises. He didn't believe them. And as far as we can tell, and the Bible backs it up based on how it talks about Jesus, he died believing that his sins were not forgiven. But Peter, read through the book of Acts, read the books that he writes, First and Second Peter. You'll see that just like King David, Peter treasured the forgiveness that Jesus won for him. He was so sorry for what he did, but also so grateful that Jesus forgave him. We're going to pause here to give you two more Bible buzzwords, both of which we've already used, contrition and repentance. Contrition is fear and sorrow that are caused by knowledge of one's sins. And of course, we see that in both Judas and Peter. They were both incredibly sorry for what they did, just like we saw it in King David. He was very sorry for what he did, expressed great sorrow over what he did. They looked back in their life and they wished they had done something differently. And that created a lot of sorrow and also a lot of fear. Fear that God could never love someone like them. But then repentance is trusting that God forgives all sins because of Jesus. And we see that in Peter. We saw that in David. And they had the right to believe that because it was true. Judas had the right to believe it too, but he didn't. The third thing we need to do as Christians to live in the reality of our baptism is, well, serve God out of thanks. Again, in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I remember hearing a story once of back in early, uh, early American history when the slave trade was a very public, uh, very public thing that there were sometimes people who would show up at the places where slaves were being auctioned off and they would, um, they would buy the slaves, they would pay the highest price, and the slave would be brought down, they would, uh, they would take them back to their home, where the slave thought that they were going to work in slave labor now for the rest of their life. But when they got to their home, the person who paid a price for them set them free. He said, the reason I purchased you was to set you free from slavery. He said, you're free to go, and you can go wherever you wish. And I also remember hearing that sometimes the slave would be so grateful that he had been set free from slavery that he requested to stay, not as a slave, but as an employee, as a friend, because he knew he was safe there. He was safe with someone who had paid a very big price to set him free. He was glad to serve that person because of what they had done for him. In the same way, Jesus paid a very big price to set us free from sin. And we can be glad to serve him. <laughs> and we ought to be. We are. Serve God out of thanks with everything that you have. It's a good thing to do. I'm going to close with one example of a man who did just that. Learned to serve God out of thanks. Remember Nicodemus? 
He's the member of the Sanhedrin that Jesus was speaking with in John chapter 3, and Jesus taught him about the necessity of being born again. We talked about that in the previous lesson. And so he had a lot to learn. And in John chapter 7, we come across Nicodemus again, and he's still working among the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin is the group that wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so he's still working with them. But it seems that he's, he's growing. We see him acting in some pretty spiritually mature ways in John chapter 7. And then in John chapter 19, we see Nicodemus a third time. It's after Jesus had died. He was dead. And Nicodemus is one of the people who buried him. Nicodemus was there at Jesus' death to bury Jesus in a proper way, serving Jesus out of love. Looking at those three times that we see Nicodemus, we see that there was growth in his faith. There was growth in his ability to live for Jesus, and his growth was gradual. And if you want to see that in your life, or in the life of someone you love, if you want to see growth, baptism is a great next step because of all the wonderful promises that God applies to baptism, of what God gives so generously and so freely in the act of baptism. And if you're already baptized, well, then it's good to remember that you don't need to take any more steps in order to be in God's family. You've already been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. You already belong to God. Baptism is one of the very special ways that he allows us to be reminded of that. But with every step that you have left on earth, Live like you believe there is something special about that. Because there is. There's another place to which you can go to receive a clean conscience. But in being connected with the cross of Jesus and the forgiveness that he won, that's what you have. Every sin washed away. One last thing about baptism. There are three things that we know about baptism. Well, more than three, but I want to point out these three. Uh, number one, it was started by Jesus. Jesus is the one who first commanded that we should go out and baptize. Number two, baptism takes something visible, tangible, like, you know, water, and connects it with God's word to do something special. And number three, the very special thing that it does is it offers the forgiveness of sins, new life, and salvation. Those three things, started by Jesus, connects something visible and tangible with God's word, and then offers forgiveness of sins and new spiritual life and eternal salvation. Just for now, tuck those away. We'll come back to them in the next lesson. But until then, remember who you are through the promises of baptism. You are a child of God. You are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. You belong to him. We'll see you next time.